having a great morning already. Uh, why don't you guys join us for worship this morning? It's a good morning.
forever changed because of your blood that you shed for us, God. We are so thankful for you, God, every day.
Hallelujah. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts about Lydia, who is a seller of purple, it says that whose heart the Lord opened. And so God opens people's hearts. God opens the understanding and enlightens the minds of people. Hallelujah. So, you know, we've really been praying for our, the families of our church family lately. So let's just do that right now. Father, we just lift up our families to you, Lord. Uh, the families of the family of our church family, Father. The Holy Spirit enlightens. And so, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would enlighten the hearts and open the minds of those people in our family that are prodigals, of those people in our family that are wayward sons and daughters and grandchildren, would open the hearts of our siblings and all of our family, Father. We claim them for the gospel and the, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Send laborers across their path to share the word of God with them, to share the love of God with them, a word in due season. And Lord, just as you open Lydia's heart, we pray, Father, that you would open the hearts of our family members and send labors across their path in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit. Those of us who are born again, we have the Holy Spirit and He enlightens us and He draws us to the Father. Amen. God is good. Well, we are so glad that our church family is watching this morning on Facebook and YouTube. And so before you're seated, uh, who is that? JC is up there. And let's go ahead and wave at JC and our church family and give them a warm welcome.
And then before, after you do that, why don't you turn around and greet several people this morning, smile real big, tell them you're glad to see them. And after you've done that, well, then you may be seated. We're going to dismiss our children to their kids' class right now. Children in grades one through five, praise the Lord. I think most of them are out of school. That's why they're running a little extra fast today. <laughs> I know when my children were growing up, I was probably happier than them that they weren't going to school because, well, and thank God for those that can go to school. And we have, <laughs> right, I forget. My grandkids are in um, Christian school, so they've been going to school. And homeschoolers school 12 months out of the year, so... Maybe those are the ones that aren't skipping as fast. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I, I homeschooled too, so I did it all. Praise the Lord. We want to welcome you today if you're worshiping with us today for the first time. If you are, if you wouldn't mind just lifting up your hand uh, so we can see where you are. Oh, wonderful. Here's some people back here. Glad that you're here. Oh, some over here as well. Welcome. Wonderful. So glad that you're here worshiping. Amen. We just want you to feel like family today. We're Foothill Family Church, and we are a family. Amen. I wanted to let you know, uh, I forgot last week, um, we were collecting money to uh, send to uh, some senior retired ministers uh, that we knew about. Uh, many of them are in their 80s, widows, different ones. So we had eight different, they were faithful in ministry for decades and um, not a whole lot of means of income. We collected just a little under $10,000. And so we were able to send each of them this past week a, che a check for $1,250. And uh, what a blessing. Uh, what a blessing that we could bless them. Amen. That's scriptural to do that. That's why we did it. Amen. Um, then those of you who are... Um, Worshiping with us from home, we just want to give you a heads up. We're going to have communion today, so if you have grape juice or bread or even water will do, whatever, just so if you want to prepare your elements for communion today, we will be having communion at the end of the service. Um, as most of you know, Pastor Mike is on uh, TV um, on channel 9 at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Is that right? I never watch because I'm, I'm here. I'm not there. And uh, so anyway, we, um, the company, the, the group of people, uh, actually we've known them for many years, who um, works with us with the local uh, Southern California company. We've had people, of course, want us to go on their stations, different places, and we've never done it just because the Lord just told Pastor Mike just to reach our area. And um, that's, we just want to obey God. However, when you're offered free time, well, we will do that. You know, there's nothing to pray about there. A free opportunity to reach people? Yes. So we are on a brand new network called the Pioneer Network. They're giving us a free airtime for one year. And um, we're on there with some other people you might not know very well, like Rick Renner, Marilyn Hickey, Kenneth Copeland. If you, if you go there to Pioneer Network, Pastor Mike is right at the top, right in the center. Maybe he signed on after them, and so, you know, he, that's just where he ended up in the slot. I don't know. There's no rhyme or reason. But anyway, we just wanted to let you know we're so grateful that we can reach other people. And this network, of course, is for anyone, anywhere. 
So it's not confined to Southern California. So we're grateful for that. Um, oh, then uh, um, Pastor Mike and I are going to be leaving town for a little bit. We will be returning. We're going to go to Hawaii, a trip that we had booked for a couple of years ago. And, but next week, we're going to have uh, Reverend Keith Hershey is going to be here. Everybody knows him well. Yes, thank you so much. We know him well. He's a part of our church. Um, he ministers all over the world. And um, he's, they just live north of L.A., so it's not too far of a drive for him. He will be with us here next Sunday morning. If you have never heard um, uh, Reverend Hershey, he uh, will bless Bless you. He talks so much on the love of God and the compassion of God, and he has such a heart for Jesus. We know that he will bless you. Um, then we were going to be back the following Sunday, but Delta Airlines, that's all I'll say. Look, when we were younger, my husband and I, we would go preach in, uh, overseas, fly all night in coach, like, we still fly in coach, but like this, all night long, get there, splash a little water in your face, and he go preach for a few hours. No big deal when you're in your 20s and 30s. But when you're approaching, being a senior citizen, approaching, you don't do that anymore. And so Delta wanted us to do that. So I, we're, we weren't going to do that. Um, that's all they offered us was this red-eye flight. And so anyway... Um, Terry Mize is in town. He happened to be in town right then. He's going to be in California, so he's going to drive here. And he will be with you on the 27th. We will come in a little bit later that day. So anyway, you guys are going to be in great hands. If you've not heard Brother Terry, powerful uh, minister and um, just a father to our church, I believe, and part of our church family. They're dear, dear friends of ours. So that's what's coming up the next two Sundays. And there are cameras in here. You can't see them, but we can access them through our phone and our iPads and our computers. So Pastor Mike and I will be taking attendance on those Sundays. You can't see them, but they're here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And then um, just you, uh, the reminder about uh, our giving and the different ways to give is up on the slide. If you want to give as you leave today, you can do so with an envelope and give it to the ushers as you leave. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the unity that we have and the love that we have for each other because of what Jesus has done for us. Hallelujah. We are the family of God. And brothers and sisters, and I, because of our love for you, even though we come from so many different backgrounds, so many different places, yet because of our love for you, you unify us and make us as one. Hallelujah. It is with our tithes and with our offerings that we honor you. It is with our tithes and with our offerings that it is a, a physical symbol that Jesus, you are first in our life because you control our money. We give you the first fruits of what, we, of what you bless us with, and we thank you that as we do, that the windows of heaven are open unto us, and you pour us out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive, not just financially, but in every area, Lord. So we honor you with our tithing, and we honor you with our offerings above our tithes because we worship you, because all that you tell us to do, we want to do, and we will do, 
And this is a one step, is with our, is with our means. So Jesus, we honor you. We thank you that we can be here today. We thank you for your presence that's in this place. We thank you for ministering to each heart and to each life by the word of God, by the spirit of God. Say things beyond what we can say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you all join us for this last song this morning?
power this morning. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we bless your holy name. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy that you've shown unto us. We thank you, Father, for all the good things that you have done and even greater things that are yet to come. Father, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that he gives us direction and utterance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, in the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of somebody, governor of Judah. Well, I'm not going to try. You want to help yourself. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And to the residue of the people saying, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Talking about Solomon's temple. And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, O you people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, he says, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. He's not talking about this temple. Solomon's temple was dedicated and the presence of the Lord was there and it was so strong the priest couldn't stand to minister. The presence of the Lord was, was available and, and present in power, great power. And the second temple never came up to that. The second temple never reached the same level or measure of glory that Solomon's temple did. And so we can clearly see through the historical evidence that the glory of the latter house that he's talking about isn't that second temple. Now Herod in Jesus' day, just before actually, Herod the Great rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem And it was a beautiful building. There was an occasion where the disciples uh, walked with Jesus into the temple and were pointing out all the beautiful things about it. And Jesus was not impressed. Jesus knew that it was built not for the purpose of glorifying God, but for the purpose of glorifying Herod, giving him a name among the people. And Jesus was not impressed with the temple at all the temple of his day, in any way whatsoever. And that was the temple that he uh, decreed that not one stone would be left upon another, which took place in A.D. 70. So when he's talking about the glory of this latter temple, he's got to be talking about the church. 
The Bible talks about the people of God, the children of God as being the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now notice also in verse 7, there's a phrase in there, and the desire of all nations shall come. The desire of all nations shall come. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 and let's see what that is. Romans chapter 8, I'll start in verse 16. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, this word if, actually there are four different words in the Greek language that are translated if in the New Testament. This is the one that's translated most often, and it's a declaratory word. It really means since or because. So here where it says we are children, the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And or if children or since because we're children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs, that means co-equal, heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now the suffering, a lot of people get off track on this and think that the suffering just means trouble and sickness and disease and whatever other uh, adversities or calamities are in the earth but that's not the suffering that God has called us to the only suffering that the Bible tells us that we will uh, or can expect is persecution now Paul is writing to a church that's heavily persecuted he's writing to a church at a time where there have been three or four different waves of persecution in the early days of the church so when he's talking about suffering, he's talking about being reproached or afflicted because we are believers. See, folks, there's suffering in the world for people whether you're Christians or not. There's a lot of adversity and a lot of difficulty that'll come about, uh, come about in somebody's life, whether they're born again or not. Being born again doesn't give us some kind of escape from adversities in life. Neither can we say that somebody can escape suffering in life if they're not a believer. So the sufferings he's talking about there is persecution. God hadn't redeemed you from persecution. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll, suffer, they'll persecute you too. If they hated me, they'll hate you too. Paul said, they that love, live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, which is probably why some people never experience it. They that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The stronger stand we take for the Lord, the bigger target we become. And it's unfortunate, but it's true. A lot of Christians don't suffer persecution because they never make a stand for God and the things of God. So he says again, verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of, sons of God. Now this word creature means creation. It means all of the creative works that God has performed that are described to us in Genesis, how that he made or remade the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested. That creation is waiting for deliverance too. 
The earnest expectation of the creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature or creation was made subject to vanity. This word vanity just means moral depravity or evil. The earth was made subject to evil. Remember, after that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God pronounced a curse upon the earth. He cursed the serpent. He cursed the earth. And he told Adam that things would be different from that point forward. He said that the earth would bring forth thorns and thistles. Apparently before then there were no such thing as thorns or thistles. And he said that the earth would only produce from that point forward by the sweat of your brow. Which indicates that there was a different type of manner or method prior to the fall for the earth to produce. That method was most probably the result of words. Just as God created the earth with words, man was given instruction to, to govern and to exercise authority over the earth with words. For the creature, creation, was made subject to evil, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of the body. So the Bible says that the earth, the whole earth, is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, if we, if we put in this verse or interpret this verse, these verses, to mean that the earth, the earth is waiting for you to receive your redeemed body, that certainly fits the description and fits the criteria. But when Jesus said that the glory of the latter-day church shall exceed the glory of the first temple of Solomon's temple, once we received our redeemed bodies, we spend the next seven years the seven years of tribulation here on the earth in heaven. How does that help the earth? It's talking about the end times, certainly. But it's not just talking about the point in time when our bodies are redeemed. God made an earth that had ears. The Bible says in, in Isaiah chapter 55, Verses 11 and 12. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. The Bible refers to the created, this earth, this creation work of God as having ears, as working for the righteous, not against them. You remember in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 11, in verse 23, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Who knew that mountains had ears? 
He said, speak to the mountain. See, a lot of people are spending their time talking to God about their problem. But the mountain, which represents the problems that we face here in life, the adversities and difficulties we face here in life, the Bible says we should speak to them. Speak to your problems. I like the way somebody said it. Most people are talking about their problems to God, but faith is the method whereby we speak to our problems about God. Now, that's not the only place where Jesus said those types of things. In Luke chapter 17, verse 6, the Lord said, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say, or you would say, unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted into the sea, and it should obey you. He says, Talk to trees. Now, he's not talking about physical trees, he's using uh, trees here as symbolic, a symbolic illustration to speaking to things that are deeply rooted in your life, things that contradict the word. We're supposed to remove those things, and you remove it by faith, through words. Jesus went further to say along this line in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, they were questioning why they weren't able to cast out an evil spirit from a, a young boy whose father had brought him to Jesus. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove thou to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Nothing shall be impossible to you. So Jesus is talking about this principle of faith, these words that we are to speak as affecting our earth, affecting this world that we live in. And not only will it move mountains, mountains of problems, not only will it uproot deep-seated things like unforgiveness in our lives, but it applies in every area. It can be applied in every, any and every situation because the earth is designed to obey our words. You remember on Palm Sunday, Jesus was coming into town and everybody was praising and singing Hosanna to the king. The Pharisees got upset about that. And so they came to Jesus and told him to quiet the people down. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, if these held their peace, the rocks themselves would cry out. Now, was that literally, was Jesus speaking literally? I believe he was. If he wasn't, what do the rocks represent? If he's not saying that the rocks themselves literally would cry out, then who else would? What's the fulfillment or the finishing of the illustration? There isn't one. He's speaking literally. I didn't know rocks could cry out, could you? I didn't know rocks could sing. Folks, God created the world. I'm a hard time about it, but at least he did walk on the water. Nine. Luke chapter 9. 
tells us the story of Jesus sending out his disciples. Verse 1, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Verse 5 talks about what they were to do if they got to a city that would not receive them. Jesus sent his disciples out to sounds that he was going to come to. They were his advanced team. And he told them to preach the kingdom of God. In other words, preach that God wants the same thing for you here as he wants for you in heaven. Obviously, that includes healing for the physical body. Well, we know there's no sickness in heaven, so that certainly fits. So he told them to go and preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. If you put yourself in their position, what would you do? I know exactly what I'd do. I'd get a donkey and put a placard on both sides of the donkey saying, Jesus advanced team. And into whatever city I went in, I would be talking about this guy named Jesus. Have you heard about this guy named Jesus? We know that they haven't been there because these guys are going to cities that Jesus hasn't entered yet. I'd tell them all the things that I'd seen. This guy named Jesus, he's healing the sick everywhere we go. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen people that were lame walk. I've seen the dead raised again to life. This guy named Jesus is unlike anybody that we've ever seen or heard of ever before. And not only that, but just as he heals the sick, he gave us power to heal the sick. Now, don't ask me how that works. I don't know. How somebody is able to give healing power before the, the crucifixion took place. See, once the crucifixion took place and Jesus died as our substitute, then we gained his righteousness. Now, you can easily see how a righteous man on the earth would be able to operate in the same power that Jesus did. But how unsaved men could do that, I don't have an explanation for. But nevertheless, Jesus delegated authority to us to heal the sick in the cities that we're in. And the result was they got healed. The sick were healed. Let me show you the outstanding thing about Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these things that the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now notice in verse 29 the word one is in italics. Anytime you find a word in the King James that's in italics, it means the translators that have added a word. And the intent on the part of the translators is to help us understand it better. For the most part, they did a pretty good job, but there are a couple of places where they do us a disservice. This is one of those places. 
Notice it says the people were astonished at his doctrine. Folks, if Jesus went around healing the sick and performing miracles because he was the Son of God and only because he was the Son of God, then they wouldn't have been astonished at his doctrine. They would have been astonished at him and his power. But they were astonished at his teaching. That's what the word doctrine means. They were astonished at his teaching. Now, what was it about his teaching that brought such astonishment to them? For he taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. You look up those two words, as, these two words, as having, it literally means how to hold or how to exercise authority. They marveled at Jesus because Jesus taught them that they had authority on the earth. Now, this is not the only place this is expressed this way. Let me show you a couple other places. Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. Wait a minute, that's not right. Luke chapter 4, verse 31. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. Again, they're astonished at his doctrine. Because the power of God shows up and confirms the things that he's teaching. But again, it doesn't say they're astonished at him. They're astonished at his doctrine. For his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. And cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him, and hurt him not. And they were all amazed, and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? Doctrine, not personal power. What a word is this? For with authority and power, he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place in the country round about. Even in his own hometown of Nazareth. Even in Nazareth, where they refused to believe in him, they heard what he said. They had heard the things that he had done in Capernaum. Now in Nazareth, he was able, to, he could there do no mighty work, verse 5 says. Doesn't say he wouldn't, it says he couldn't. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So if you were one of the apostles preaching in one of these other cities, cities that Jesus hadn't been to yet, you're in a situation where you've been commanded by Jesus and had power and authority over sickness and disease delegated to you to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. If somebody spoke up in opposition to it and said, oh, that can't be right. You can't have authority on the earth to heal sick sickness and disease. It can't be that, the way that you're talking about. You would have every opportunity to say, well, we've seen that take place too. We've seen places like Nazareth, for example, 
where people didn't receive it, didn't, didn't accept the truth that we were sharing with them. But even in Nazareth, their response was, where is this man, this wisdom, to do these mighty works? Those works they were talking about weren't done in Nazareth, but works that were done in Capernaum. Even they associated the word with the power. Even they heard enough from him and about him to recognize that Jesus was saying that the word was the source of power, not him as an individual. Even they knew. Where does this man get this wisdom that by his hands these mighty works are done? Folks, again and again and again, the Bible says that they were astonished at his teaching because he taught them that God wants the same thing for them here on the earth that he wants for them in heaven. And that would make perfect sense if you accept what the Bible says about God never changing. The Bible says over and over again that God never changes. There's no variableness, neither shadow of turning with him. God said himself, I am God, I change not. That should settle the issue for us. I am God, I change not. Well, how could God, therefore, want some people to be sick here on the earth, but he's banished sickness and disease from heaven? How could it be possible that God who created the heavens and gave us enough information about heaven so that we would know that there's nothing that can hurt or harm any person in any way whatsoever. We know for a fact that there's no sickness and disease in heaven. Then how could God want his children to be afflicted with sickness and disease here on the earth? In the same way, there's no poverty or lack in heaven. So how could God want anybody, any part of his family that experience lack here God never changes folks he's the same right now and he wants the same for you right now as he will when you get to heaven turn with me to Luke chapter 10 Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among the wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house you enter first, say, Peace be unto this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you. 
accepts what you tell them about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. Eat such things that are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Now he goes on to say what to do in cities where they refuse to receive them. But the Bible is making an absolute connection with healing being a part of the kingdom of God. Heal the sick that are therein and say, the kingdom of God is come unto you. How can you separate, the kingdom of, separate healing, therefore, from the kingdom of God? How can you say, I don't care how many ministerial degrees you've got behind your name, but how can anybody say that king, the healing is not a part of the kingdom of God? It certainly was in Jesus' day. And the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So who has the authority to separate healing from the kingdom of God? In Jesus' day, the kingdom of God included healing. So unless we're operating under a different kingdom of God nowadays, which would have to mean that God changed which is impossible for him to do, then who has the authority to separate healing and physical healing from the kingdom of God? Are we to believe that people now can become so intelligent through their education that supersedes what Jesus said things were? This is Jesus talking. He said, heal the sick that are therein and say to them, the kingdom of God has come unto you. It must be important to Jesus for people to understand that healing was a part of the kingdom of God. He didn't have to say that. He could have just said, heal the sick that are therein. He's the one that made the connection. He's the one that expressed the truth. That healing is an a, a, a integral part of the kingdom of God. Who has the right to change that? Could somebody, because of their years of experience in ministry, gain some extra special power, extra sp uh, special place with God to alter God's unchanging plan? Who has that kind of authority? Who can separate? Healing from the kingdom of God when Jesus said it was joined together. I'd sure hate to try to answer that before the Lord. I'd sure hate to stand before Jesus and him ask me, now how is it that Jesus said that the kingdom of God included healing, but you say that it doesn't? There are a lot of famous people who are going to have to answer that question, folks. Heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Now let's skip down a little bit to when they finish. They finish their work and in verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us, unto us through thy name. And Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now he's not saying that Satan fell from heaven at that moment that they used his name and healed the sick in the cities that they went to. 
He's saying that, that Satan has been a defeated foe for a long time. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power. This word power is the word authority. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now notice what he's talking about. He's saying don't make a big deal about having authority over over, uh, evil spirits. Don't make such a big deal about it. He didn't say they didn't have power. He didn't say they had misused the authority that he gave them. He's just saying there's more important things than being able to, to uproot and to dispel and to cast out evil spirits. Jesus is kind of sneering at the power of the devil. He's saying, don't make a big deal about exercising power over the devil. He's been defeated for a long time. The implication is we should all be exercising authority over the devil in our own lives. He said there's something greater to focus on than that, though. And that is that we are eternally redeemed from spiritual death. Our names are written down in heaven. We have the power of God and the life of God and the name of Jesus at our disposal. And maybe more important than anything else, we have the word that reveals to us who we are. So we see a creation that was designed to work on behalf of those men and women who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. We see that that righteousness supersedes when necessary the physical laws of nature. It's a good thing we don't have the power of God given to us like like it's in our possession and available for us to use in any way, in any way, at any time that we want to. Walking across your swimming pool would be a common occurrence, wouldn't it? But let's shift gears for a little bit now. What was it about Jesus that enabled him or brought him to the place where the laws of nature were suspended? There are other times in the Old Testament, a few times in the Old Testament, where the physical laws of nature were suspended. You remember the sun went back in one place so that Israel could finish the battle. There were healings that took place. And people associated healings with the priests. Sometimes the prophets as well. But what was it about Jesus that enabled him to have such clear understanding? Now, I know this is an area where people like to say he was in a class by himself. And in a lot of ways he was, 
But according to his own testimony, he wasn't in a class by himself when it came to the works. Again, he said in John chapter 14, the works that I do shall you do also, and even greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. Well, okay, if he's telling us we're going to do the greater works, and it's not equivocation in any part, on his part. It's a, decla a declaration. It's a determined outcome. He clearly said you would do the same works. Well, clearly the church isn't doing the same works in the same manner or the same measure as Jesus did on the earth. So what makes the difference? Again, it's easy to say Jesus was the Son of God. And so there must have been something different or special or extra, to say the least, about him. Well, if that was the case, then why did he tell us we'd do the same works? He's the one saying we're going to do the same works. Folks, there's one difference between most of the church world and Jesus when it comes to doing the works that God sent him to do. He had such revelation and such understanding of who he was and who God had made mankind to be that when he sees, him, sees his disciples failing to exercise faith to produce things like walking on the water to produce things like calming the storms that he's amazed at them He asked him point blank, why are you so fearful? Where's your faith? Now, carry that through, that implication all the way through. That implies absolutely that he expected that they should be able to calm the storm and not have to wake him up next time they get in trouble. Smith Wigglesworth was a man that was used of God in some great, great ways. He was called an apostle of faith. He never called himself that. But he was called an apostle of faith because the gift of faith seemed to operate in him to great degree. He had 27 people raised from the dead in his ministry. That's not bad. He's 27 people ahead of me. And right at the last days of his life, right at the very end of his life, he saw some things in the spirit about the end times. He said that he saw a revival of spiritual gifts and the manifestation of the Holy Ghost that came to pass in the 1960s and 70s through the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship. And then after that, he said that he saw a revival of the Word. That took place primarily, was fulfilled during the 1980s. There was such a, a move of God such a work of God that was done through the teaching of the word that people were 
clamoring to get to these conventions where teachers would share the word with folks. They'd show up hours beforehand just to get a place in line to sit. But then Wilberforce said that he saw a third revival, a third wave. He said it was a wave that merged the gifts of the Spirit and the teaching of the Word. And that would be the revival that ushered in the King. I wonder if that would qualify as the latter rain. The Bible tells us to ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. That latter rain is referred to in the Old Testament, the book of Hosea, as the outpouring of the Holy Ghost or the moving of the Holy Ghost. Probably shouldn't use the word outpouring because the Holy Ghost has already been poured out and he's already here on the earth. But the latter rain is a move of the Holy Ghost that brings people, multitudes of people, into the kingdom of God. It appears that God has one final push through this latter rain, this move of the Holy Spirit that connects the teaching of the Word with the power of God, which is exactly what the Bible tells us about Jesus. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them how to have or how to hold authority. And his word was confirmed with power through the healing of the sick, through the casting out of devils, through setting people free in any and every way known to us. What's it going to take for us to do the works of Jesus? Folks, I believe with all of my heart that the greatest part of it has simply to do with our eyes being opened, our spiritual eyes being opened. I do not believe that there's something that we don't yet have that we must first obtain. See, where it comes to the manifestation of the sons of God, no one generation has had more of God than another. No one generation has had more opportunity or more ability to have their spiritual eyes enlightened and operate in the fullness of the power of God. Jesus said when he was raised from the dead, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. He told us to go forward into the earth and use it here. Well, if all power was given unto him in heaven and earth, then that can't mean that there's a generation to come that would have more than somebody else. Folks, I believe it's more important for us now than ever before to pray those prayers in Ephesians for ourselves. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1.
beginning in verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. In other words, this is a prayer given by the Holy Spirit and a copy of it was saved for us so that we would know how the Holy Ghost had Paul pray. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. You know the difference between the church being the church and the church being mediocre? The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. You know what the secret is to the manifestations of the sons of God? The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Now if Jesus had an advantage over you and me, and I believe he did. Then it boils down to this and only this. He had no experience of sin in his flesh. We know that the experience of sin in our flesh robs us of fellowship with our Father. It doesn't rob us of relationship. We don't stop being his sons or his daughters. We don't stop being children of God. But the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that brings us to an understanding, a spiritual understanding of who we are and what we have in Christ. That is the only thing that makes the difference between Jesus walking on the water and the modern day church living out their normal lives. That's it. It's not getting something more than we've got. It's not getting something we don't yet have. But rather it's seeing and understanding what we really do have. Paul said he ceased not to give thanks for them, making mention of them in his prayers. In other words, he's saying God holds me to praying this over and over and over again for you. I think it would be a good practice for us to pray this over and over and over for ourselves. I believe with all of my heart that what happens, what will happen to bring about this last day move of the Holy Spirit that will usher Jesus back into the, to the earth to come get us. I believe the thing that will make the difference is that God will answer our prayers. And open our spiritual eyes. Because once our spiritual eyes are opened, then the power of God can and will flow freely. God's just waiting for somebody to act on his word. We're not waiting on him. He's waiting on us. He's waiting on us to get our lives and put our lives in such a manner 
to order our lives in such a way so that the word of God comes first and our understanding, the revelation that we have concerning the word of God will enable us to do works that Jesus did, healing works, miracle works, as if it were the ordinary course of nature. The Bible tells us that after Jesus was raised from the dead and the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and the 120 people in the upper room, it tells us about healings and miracles that began to be done. It tells us in Acts chapter 3 about the man, crippled man at the beautiful gate of the temple. Peter and John look on him. And God institutes a manifestation of the Spirit. Peter says to the man, look on us. Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give we thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the man's ankle bones were strengthened and he walked. Now the people that were in that place that witnessed this, and this guy's laid daily at this place so everybody knows him, or everybody's seen him at least. They all come running and grabbing hold of Peter and John, wanting to know how they got the power to give this guy's legs back. They thought it was something special and unique about them. But Peter quietens the people down, and he says, Why look ye on us as if by our own power or our own holiness, we had made this man to walk. Now, folks, that's exactly what people try to put on Jesus for why Jesus was able to do the mighty works and healing works, but why the, it, we couldn't expect it or shouldn't expect those things to happen today. There's a lot of people that preach and have been preaching for a long time that the disciples had some special place of holiness with, with God or they had some special power because they were apostles. But that once all the apostles are dead, things don't work that way anymore. And that's the very thing that Peter denied. Now, if Peter had a special place of, with God according to holiness, or if he had some special power, he ought to be the one to tell us, shouldn't he? But he's the one that says, why look ye on us? It's not by our power that we did this thing. It's not by our holiness that we did this thing. Well, then what was it, Peter? He says, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, through faith in the name, has caused this man to be made whole. Now, folks, tell me what happened. Peter has seen this guy at the same location Every day, the Bible says he was laid there daily. 
And it's very possible that Jesus could have passed by this guy on occasion as well. So what was it that took place on this special day, this special occurrence that turned Jerusalem upside down? Peter was simply prompted by the Holy Ghost to take action. And at the time he took the action, it seemed like the most common, most simple, most natural thing to do. Peter didn't walk by the guy and all of a sudden act like he got struck by lightning. Like a lot of Pentecostal people do. You couldn't have looked at Peter and saw something different about him except maybe the boldness that he began to operate in. He gained a revelation, a split-second revelation of the power of God that was available to help this guy and to restore him. I believe that's the way it's going to work for us, too. I believe there are going to be flashes of lightning, spiritual lightning, so to speak, which will prompt us to take action, not by our own power or our own holiness, but by virtue of the fact that God loves people. And he's ordained that the last days be times of great revival, times of great power. Oh, that God would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we would know the hope of his calling and the riches of the inheritance of the saints in glory and to know the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us as believers. That's what Jesus sacrificed his life for us to have. And thank God I believe we're coming to a day. In fact, I believe we're already in the day where the revelation of God will enable us to do the works of Jesus and even greater works. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to serve you communion this morning. So gentlemen, if you'll get yourselves ready, we'll attend to the people.
Amen. Paul wrote to the church, saying, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. This represents, this bread represents the stripes that Jesus took upon him, his back to secure healing for each and every one of God's people. Father, in Jesus' name, we receive this bread. And as we do, we recognize that it symbolizes the sacrifice that Jesus took, the sacrifice that he made, the penalty that he took upon himself to bring us into healing from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Let's take the bread. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had subbed, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. This cup represents the blood of Jesus, which was spilled for you and me as our sacrifice, as our substitute to bring us into the fullness of redemption and righteousness. Father, in Jesus' name, we partake of this cup. And in so doing, we declare that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for living in us, for walking in us, for doing the same works that Jesus did in and through us. In Jesus' name, let's receive the cup. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord, we bless your holy name. We exalt you as our King and our Savior. Our lives are yours, Father. Use us according to your loving kindness. Use us according to your word. Use us, Lord, according to your mercy, that the church might be the church, that we might manifest the sons of God in the earth. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Have a great day.